Uh, we're going to be reading from 1 Peter 4, and just 7 through 11 for our, our sermon passage this morning. So please listen as I read to us from uh, God's word. Peter writes to the church. He's writing to us. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if you've had this experience, but in my life, I've noticed that adversity, if you go through adversity, difficult situations with a group of people, there's a tendency for that to create tighter bonds of community. If you go through something really difficult with other people, you tend to be closer with the group of people that you go through. Now, in my life... um, before ministry, I was active duty military, so I'm one of the, the 1%, they say, that has gone through basic training. I'm guessing some of you have in here as well. And um, I can tell you that it's true. When you go through even something as simple as basic training, which is eight weeks of suffering physically, you know, mentally, getting screamed at, getting yelled at, running around looking like you know, a fool half the time, doing push-ups, sweating, not sleeping much. When you go through that, high stress with a group of people, it tends to form bonds that really would not be formed in any other way. And so at the end of training, the group that you went through that, you may have very little in common with them, different backgrounds, you know, all all of that. And yet there's this bond that usually lasts for life uh, because you went through this adverse, this difficult experience. There's a book that I read years ago called Tribe. And the author of that book was wrestling with the question, why do so many Men and women who have served in combat zones come back to America and then wish they were back in their combat zone. Why do so many want to go back? Why would you want to go back to an area where your life is in danger and and where you you don't have the comforts of life that we enjoy here? And the conclusion that he came to, which I found to be very interesting, was that in combat, when you are with a unit in that kind of hostile environment, there's such a tight community that forms with your team. Yeah, I mean, you, you do everything together. You eat together. You sleep together. You need each other. And, and it, 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 there's these bonds of community that form that, that when you come back to our very individualistic lifestyle as Americans here and kind of get thrown back into that, you miss the community because that adverse experience has created a very tight community. In fact, it it does so by necessity because when you're in a hostile environment like a war zone, if you're not tight on the inside, you're not going to make it, right? The pressures of that zone will will blow the team apart. And so by nature, it does it. Now, this leads me to my uh, idea. I've been telling our church, Sojourn, we're hoping to be in a place by early next year to begin taking our first church members, which is exciting for us. You can pray for that. But, but my idea for a church membership class, I'm trying to rethink of a way to, to do it so we can simulate a basic training type of experience for everyone that goes through. So forget the classroom stuff. Forget you know, learning about uh, doctrine. Well, we'll work that in, but I want to send everyone out to the desert 
and make you suffer together. I mean, and I'm not talking about like, you know, that glamping. I'm talking about really suffering, sweating, pain, anxiety. I'll be out there yelling at people, right? I mean, because I'm joking, of course, but if you could do that, I have no doubt that there'd be tighter community. Like if our church went out and literally, I mean, actually suffered together, we would, we would have bonds formed that aren't formed in any other way. Now, I'm running into problems legally doing that, I'm, I'm realizing, but I'm still, I'm still thinking about it. Uh, but, but I share all this as a lead into our passage this morning because I, I think that helps us understand the context of Peter's letter and why he emphasizes what he does. Peter chapter 4, we didn't read all of chapter 4, but if you read it, it's about, he, he's recognizing that these Christians, the young Christian church, are facing a lot of hostility and adversity, right? He, he, Peter refers throughout the letter uh, to the Christian life as being an, a life of exile, right? You are exiles. You are sojourners in this world. You're not, because you're following Jesus, you've made a decision to follow him and live faithfully, you're always going to be a little bit on the outside of the world, and there's going to be pushback. There's going to be pressure coming from the outside. And because of that, Peter has an emphasis throughout his letter on the strength of the community. Because the more pressures that come on the church from the outside, the stronger we have to be on the inside to really thrive as we live the Christian life well. And so in the middle of chapter 4, he, he stops talking about all of the pressures from the outside and has this little section where he just focuses and makes sure you're strong on the inside. Make sure you're, you're tight together as a team so that you can really, really thrive in this world, no matter what no matter what's going on in the world around us. And so he, he gives us, uh, I want to focus really on three practices that he highlights in these verses that I would say characterize a thick community. That's what Peter wants. He wants the church to be a, a place of thick community. And we're going to look at each of these. And I'll just say leading into it, these are all vitally important today for all of our churches. We should be praying for, for our church, pray for sojourn, pray for all churches of Jesus Christ, that we are places that are characterized by these practices because they're all the more important today. These words are are timeless. Uh, So what are the three practices that Peter calls us to, uh, to really be a place of thick community, to be strong on the inside? Well, we'll look at a love that forgives, a hospitality that doesn't grumble, and a service that's selfless. So let's Uh, get into what he says here. First of all, Peter calls the church to be a place that has a love that forgives. Love one another earnestly, verse 8, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, Peter has called throughout this letter the church to be a place that loves one another. I mean, he's done that, this is now the third time he highlights this. The church is just a good reminder for us. we, We want to do more than just be a group of strangers that shares the same space for an hour on Sundays. We have to pursue that that family-like love that is true for those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, and we want to try to live that out. But here he adds something new. He adds a new element to this love. It's the, we don't just want to love one another. We need to have a love that's willing to extend to cover the sins of my brother and sister against me. Now, I'm so glad that Peter adds this because it, it, it's just a good reminder of what life in the church will be like. Life in the church can be wonderful, but Peter is not idealistic. He doesn't have a utopian vision of the church that life in the church is always going to be easy if, and I'm so glad we confessed our sin earlier, if we recognize we're all sinners here, we all fail to love God as we ought, and we all fail to love our neighbor as we ought, and that includes each other. There are times in church where 
we actually need to forgive each other, where, where people will sin against us. And if we don't have a love, if the church has a love, but the love is not willing to extend to cover sins, it doesn't help us much in a community of sinners. And so Peter is just calling us, we need to have a love that forgives. And part of the beauty and power of the church is that we are a community that is characterized by a love that forgives. This is modeled on God's love for us, as we have so wonderfully sang and expressed so far in our service. God's love for people is that he forgives our sins. His love is greater than that, but that's, that's part of the power of the gospel. God is willing to forgive sinners. Psalm 103, he separates kids. He separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. This is what God's love has done for us. And that's powerful. But one thing that should always be true of a community that's founded on a forgiving love is that we do forgiveness well. I mean, I think this is one thing the church should be known for in our world. We should be a place that really does forgiveness well. We should be a place where forgiveness... For those who wrong us or hurt us or offend us, forgiveness flows like second nature from us. It's our default response is to forgive. Several years ago, my wife and I were shopping and she was looking for something to decorate our home with. And so she found this picture she showed me just kind of like that. And it, had a, it was just something, one of those our family type of saying. So it said, our family on the top, and then it had various, you know, we do laughter here. We do kindness here. We do sharing here. And I remember saying, you know, I mean, of course, those things are always 50% true. Uh, but, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things. We didn't buy it. But that as I was thinking this week of this sermon, it, it strikes me that if the church could have one of those, the church, the church of Jesus, the first line should say, the church of Jesus, we do forgiveness here. Right, that, that's what should be painted above the doors when people walk into any church of Jesus. We do forgiveness here. You can come to the church and you will find forgiveness. First from God, because God forgives sinners. But also from his people. There's just a spirit and a willingness to forgive in the church. Um, this is what we are known for. Uh, but it's challenging to do that. I mean, this is why the Bible's constantly reminding us as Christians uh, to forgive those who sin against us. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. Jesus talks about forgiveness so much. Our, our confidence to pray the Lord's Prayer comes, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us, right? This is a big part of um, what we're called to, but it, but it is hard. And I will say, in, in now almost 12 years of, of pastoring in, in several different churches, it's not always the default response in churches that it should be. I mean, let's just be honest about it. Forgiveness is hard. I understand that. It is difficult when someone offends me or hurts me to have a love that covers that. It's, it's difficult. And it's also uncomfortable. I, I, I do think this is one of the practical reasons it's, it's hard to do. Who wants to talk about this stuff? It's not easy to have a conversation in any context, right? Your workplace, even your family sometimes to say, you know, the word that you said, it really hurt me. What you did hurt me. And I find myself withdrawing from the relationship and I, I don't want to do that. I, I, I want to I be reconciled, right? These are uncomfortable conversations, which is why there's a lot of ministries in, in, in the church now like peacemakers, if you've heard of peacemakers, that exist to help Christians have these kinds of conversations well. Ken Sandy, who founded that, will often talk about how the church is more characterized by peace faking, right, than, than peacemaking. Because it is hard. 
Uh, but we've got to push through that if we want thick community. Because if our love cannot extend to cover you know, the, the sins of my brother or sister against me, our community will always be very thin. It'll always be very fragile. It'll always be on the verge of, of breaking apart. Uh, but if we can push through, and if you've ever had the experience of actually working through a difficult conversation with someone in the church where you had to say, you know, there, there was an offense between us, but you, you push through it, and you get to the place where forgiveness is offered, and you're able to shake hands or hug or whatever it is, and it's good. Uh, let me tell you something that's true about that relationship. It's a lot thicker than it was before. It's a powerful moment. And churches that can do this will have very thick community. And this is what we're called to. And it is hard. This is why we got to keep going to the gospel every week, because it's only as we know that we are forgiven, that God freely forgives us, that we'll have the power and really the desire to seek to extend a love that forgives to others. But this is the first part of thick community. But there's a second uh, command that Peter gives. Thick community also involves a hospitality that does not grumble. So after calling us to forgive each other, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, just a few comments on biblical hospitality in general. Uh, you may know, you may have heard this, that the, the, the word that is translated hospitality is two words, stranger and love, throwing together in the Greek. And so often people say biblical hospitality is a love of strangers. And I think that is a fair way to, to think about it, which reminds us that hospitality is a far more risky and radical endeavor than we sometimes think. It's, it's more than just having good friends or family over for dinner at our house. Now, that, that's a good thing to do. Please don't misunderstand. That's great to do that. But biblical hospitality is actually taking that welcome that we reserve for family and close friends and being willing to extend the circle out, even to strangers. But the emphasis here is on your church family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Be willing to extend that welcome to them. Hospitality is one of the ancient ministries of the church that God has used over 2,000 years to build community in the church and also to reach others outside of it. Um, one uh, fourth century pastor, John Chrysostom, who was a bit of a celebrity in his own day. They didn't have that category. We now talk about celebrity pastors. Well, if there were celebrity pastors in the fourth century, Chrysostom would be one. A lot of his sermons are still in print. I've read a couple of them. Uh, but here's John Chrysostom encouraging Christians in the fourth century to practice hospitality. He, he says, uh, make for yourself a guest chamber in your house. Set up a bed there. Set up a table. Say, this is Christ's room. Set apart for him. And Christ's room, Chrysostom wrote, is for the maimed, the beggars, the homeless. Right? It's for the people that God would bring into your, your life. Uh, but it's hard to do hospitality. And that's why, again, I appreciate that Peter mentions do it without grumbling because he knows it's not natural to any of us to live this way, right? Hospitality, properly understood, does, it does challenge us. It takes sacrifices from us. First, we have to sacrifice, right, our, our, our time in, in speaking into our own context, particularly, you know, in Scottsdale, it's very true. I'm sure it's true everywhere, right? We are so busy, our schedules are so packed, and so hospitality kind of pushes. Do I have any margin in my life at all to actually live out this call with my family, church family, or let alone neighbors? Is there any margin at all? It also challenges our view of our stuff, right? That Chrysostom quote, how do we think about our house, our resources? Chrysostom says, take your house and set apart a room and say, that's not my room anymore. This is, this is Christ's room. 
And we're going to use this for ministry. We're going to try to steward what God has given us to be a blessing to the church family and to those that are in need. And that Chrysostom quote also is a good reminder that biblical hospitality properly understood is it's not first and foremost about entertaining people. That's how we often think about hospitality in our culture. It's about bringing people over, entertaining them, showing them a good time. But the Bible's view of it is that it's first and foremost a way that we show love and service and meet real needs for other people. And in the ancient world, before there were Hiltons and Marriott's and a whole hospitality industry, it was the practice of hospitality that met a lot of those real needs. And that is still the case today. Um, I'll just share something of my own you know, story uh, to try to make this point. Before moving to Scottsdale to start the church plant, um, our, my first call was to a church in Michigan. And now, we had never lived in Michigan, and so my wife and I, we had a two-year-old daughter, and my wife was pregnant with our son, who was born three months after we got to Michigan, uh, took a call and went up there. And we didn't know anybody. We had never lived there before. We had no connections, no family, no friends. I, I don't know if you know, but Michigan is cold. And we were coming from San Diego, and I'm originally from Arizona, you know, so we didn't have coats. I didn't even have a snow shovel. And so I got there, and like, we got there in October, and the next week it snowed. And we were like, what, what, is, what is going on? Um, and it just didn't stop snowing until the following May. Um, uh, if you're from Michigan, you'll, you will know that. And so we, we were woefully unprepared. But, but you know what we realized quickly, especially after our second child was born, and you know, now I can say this at the time, I would have struggled to admit this, we were extremely lonely. Um, we didn't realize the impact it start, literally starting life over would have on us, particularly adding a second child, going through this winter. It's dark there. We were very lonely. Friday and Saturday came. You know, what, what are we doing? My wife would say, what are we doing? Same thing we did last Friday. You know, we're going to sit around by ourselves. You know, holidays would come. We don't have family. We don't have friends there. You know, and so that was a real struggle for us that we hadn't fully thought about. My point is here, we needed our church family in ways we didn't understand. We needed our church family to be that family for us, to actually welcome us into their life. We needed more from them than a little chit-chat on Sunday morning. We needed more from them than, hey, pastor, so thanks for coming up and taking the call. See you next Sunday. I mean, that's nice and that, that, that's good, but we, we actually had real needs for community and relationships, and we were struggling. And there were a few people in that church body that were willing to open their lives to us. Say, hey, I don't know what you're doing this weekend, but we're going to be out. Why don't you come with us? We're hanging with some other friends, but, but if you've got nothing to do, come. We had people that were willing to say, hey, it's, it's um, Christmas Eve. Why don't you come over to our house so that you're not by yourself? We, we had people that were willing to do that for us, and it made all the difference in the world. Because hospitality meets real needs that people have. Now, we talk a lot about loneliness in the culture. Loneliness is a huge problem in our society right now. We don't often talk about loneliness in the church, but it's a big problem in the church as well, in my experience. And sometimes it's you, sometimes it's me, but I guarantee you there are people in every church uh, that are lonely. And biblical hospitality first asks, you know, not who are the people like me that I can have over. That's how we default, and nothing wrong with that. I default that way too. But biblical hospitality is the mindset, who are those who are really struggling right now for whom having a place to be Sunday afternoon or Christmas Eve or Thanksgiving Day 
is not just entertaining them. It's a real act of love and mercy to give community, to give relationships. There was a woman in my previous church who was elderly. She was in her mid-80s. And she told me that as she aged, she noticed that both in society at large, but also in the church, she had become increasingly invisible. And when she was younger, she used to get all these invites, and she was single, and she had been single for a long time. A lot of single people are lonely too. Um, but as she aged, those just stopped coming. And she said it's not because people are, are doing that on purpose. It's just people don't think about it. People, we, we tend to, when we think about hospitality, we, who are the people that are like us or have our kids, my kids, same age, so we can connect them? And again, nothing wrong with that. But biblical hospitality is really, who are the people in our church that are really struggling? Who are the people that are most likely not to have a place to be this Friday night, this Saturday night? for whom there is no natural point of connection, who are new. How can we use what God has given us to show the welcome of God to them? This is, this is the power of church community. There's a lot of people that are invisible in the world. It should not be so in the church, right? We come around each other as a, as a family. This is the power of what God has done in the gospel. God, when we come to the table, like, we will remember that God has invited us, strangers, to his table, and so that's, part, that's the, the only motivation to open ours to strangers as well. But this is, this is how the church can be so beautiful. And Peter says, show hospitality without grumbling. Uh, thirdly and finally, Peter says, show a service that's selfless. So what is thick community made of? It's made of a love that forgives, a hospitality that doesn't grumble, but also a service that's selfless. And Peter spends the last few verses here emphasizing serving each other. And certainly that's one thing that should be true of the church and helps build thick community is that we, we serve each other um, as we're able to. Uh, I, I think that begins with what Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together, if you've ever read that book, I think it's a very helpful piece on community. He talks about something he calls the ministry of helpfulness. And he says one of the ministries, if you're part of a church, one of the, the ministries that you need to understand that you have as a, to, to other people is a ministry of helpfulness. And by that, he, he, he means giving a willingness to give simple assistance in small external matters. Now, the littlest things. Be willing to help. He says, nobody is too good for even the smallest act of service. And the one who worries about the loss of time that doing such petty outward acts of helpfulness usually entail is usually taking the importance of himself too seriously, is how he puts it, which is probably true. And he says, it is part of the discipline of humility to not spare your hand where you can perform a service or assume that your schedule is your own to manage. Allow yourself to be interrupted by God to serve other people. That's his point, even in the smallest ways. And, and, and I, what he's trying to say is, look, serving one another in the church should not be limited to times of crisis. Now, Hopefully we can do that really well. I have no doubt that if there's a crisis at, at New Valley, the church would absolutely rally around whatever the need was. And I think that'd be true at our church as well. But really, that's not what makes thick community. There are other communities that rally around people in times of crisis. What, what really makes the church stand apart is that it, it's the thousand ordinary ways that we are just serving each other all of the time, not in crises. Like that, that's what makes the culture of a church. That's what makes it powerful. It's, it's those small ways that seem so insignificant and so unimportant and almost boring, right? It's being willing to give someone a ride when they need it, 
It's being willing to, as someone has done for us several times, pick up a family and drive them and drop them off at church and drive their car back home so they don't have to spend $150 in parking. It's being willing to bring a meal when someone's going through a hard season of life. It's, it's, uh, this is a story from my last church. It's giving someone your hat. So my last church, there was a lady who was going through chemotherapy, and she was starting to lose her hair. And one of the other ladies in the church noticed that and, and drove to her house midweek and brought with her her favorite hat and said, I want to give you my favorite hat so that you can wear it in church so that people, you know, don't, don't see that you're losing all your hair. And, and the lady who received the hat told me later, I mean, just through tears, how meaningful that, that little thing was. I don't even know if she liked the hat. But, but just the idea that, 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 that someone would serve her in that small way, be thought, thought, I mean, this is the stuff of thick community. No one's going to write a book about that. No one's going to read about that. This is the stuff that makes thick community. It's, it's these things. It's that, that, that same lady, people showed up and wrapped presents at her house because she just didn't have the energy to wrap her, her uh, presents for her grandchildren. She was too tired. She was going through chemo. It's these things, right? And there's a thousand other things I, I can't even think of that you're probably thinking of. This is what the church is called to do. And this is what makes community so wonderful in the church. Now, beyond this ministry of helpfulness, Peter mentions the spiritual gifts that God has given each of us. He talks about speaking gifts and serving gifts. And he says, whatever your gift is, right, use it not for your own advantage, or, or glory. I mean, there's a lot of emphasis on spiritual gifts today and finding your spiritual gift and taking manifold tests to you know, d- d- define very concretely, this is my gift. Nothing wrong with that at all, by the way. Um, but part of the danger of all of that emphasis is that our gifts tend to become very self-focused. The Bible actually warns about this. The book of 1 Corinthians is a, is a huge warning about allowing your gifts to define you. That church was in, embroiled in conflict over which gifts are more important than other gifts. And I'm finding my, I want this gift because I want to be. And, and Peter says, forget that. Whatever gift you've given, no matter how visible it is or public it is or small and insignificant, it seems, it's for serving and building up your brothers and sisters in Christ for the glory of Jesus. Right? It's not about you. It's about serving the body. And so we should... Uh, be reminded of that. Just as Jesus, our Savior, came not to be served, but to serve, and he gives his life as a ransom for many. So uh, the gifts that our Savior gives us, not for ourselves, but it's, it's to serve. It's to serve the body, even in small ways that seem so insignificant to us, because this is the stuff of thick community. This is what builds the church. And so in conclusion, we can just say, listen, these are all very ordinary practices Um, but they will change a church. They will help a church survive and thrive even when there's all sorts of outward pressures on that community, which is the context. So by God's grace, pursue these things. Let's pray for these things in our churches, that our churches are characterized by these practices. Listen, there is no magic pill to producing really good community in a church. Every church is looking for a strong community. There's hundreds of books written every year about programs and experiences and, and commu- ways to do community groups that, that, that can develop strong community. And some, there's some great ideas in some of these things, but there is no magic pill. There, there's no one thing that can happen. 
It really does come through the very ordinary, day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year, willingness to forgive those who sin against you and work to reconcile, to, to show hospitality to each other without grumbling, and to serve, even in very seemingly insignificant ways. As we do these things, as we make it a practice, a part of our life, uh, I think one day we will wake up and say, you know, all that seemed very ordinary, but there's, an, there's something extraordinary here. Right? There, there is thick community. Somehow, somehow along the way, God showed up. Maybe he's always been here, but God has definitely shown up because we have a community that's, that's powerful here. And people will come into the, the church of Jesus from the outside and say, there's something different there. God is obviously there because I've never seen a community like this. And of course, that is what we want that's also the kind of community we all need. And as we pursue these things, we, we, we do glorify our Savior, Jesus Christ, who created that community, who's created our community through the gospel. And as Peter concludes, so we conclude, our, our, our goal is that to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we come before you and and we do just thank you for your word. Every week, uh, there are so many voices and words that are clamoring for our attention that uh, it is good to come into your house and to hear a word from you, uh, a true word, a right word. And I just pray for all of us here that you would take your word and as the psalmist says, um, just plant it deep into our heart. Uh, Help us uh, to know what is good to, uh, Lord, that it would bear fruit in our life. Uh, and in all of your churches, uh, but also for New Valley, for Sojourn, for Reconciled as they start. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we would be places of thick community for our good, but for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.